0: You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture.
1: I'm Yasmin Lomax and I'm Micah Hahn,
0: and for the past
1: 3 years <laughs> we have been the hosts of this monthly politics and pop culture podcast. Yes, you heard me right. We have come been coming into your ear holes for three years now. Can you believe that, Micah? I can't really. So much time. It's fully insane. So much time and also so little time. Like it hasn't. Yeah. It just hasn't felt like it. Um, so, this is your first episode. This is probably a little bit strange, uh, but it's also fun to know you've got a lot of catching up to do. We've, we've mm-hmm. been making a lot, a lot of episodes. Um, we thought we would kick this one off by sharing three of our favorite episodes ever. So if you do mm-hmm. want to go have a look through the archives, you've got a little reference point. Micah, would you like to share uh, one of yours? I believe we've coordinated on two of them, but you have your own personal right. singular fave.
0: Um, I really liked our episode on – I really liked our first year, apparently. 2018, a great time. Um, yeah, it was pre- pre-pandemic uh, yes. pre
1: we were like graduating college and stuff like yeah. from bachelor so we felt
0: very young then <laughs> yep um i think my the one i would recommend would be um the abortion referendum in ireland and the met gala which was, that was a really one. interesting yeah um which we've talked about similar things since too because we clearly are interested in these topics yeah that's the
1: thing I think the ones that like I've picked out as some of my favorites are ones that we like reference a lot so Mm -hmm. the politics of pride and old town road that one's our May 2019 I believe episode I feel like I use the old town road knowledge a lot in my like own life whenever Lil Nas X is brought up I'm like oh I research this i've got this <laughs> i also really liked our justin trudeau and ariana grande pete davidson episode mm-hmm. which is really funny because like i feel like so much has happened in ariana grande and pete davidson's life yes since then like we were also caught up on this like engagement and now she's engaged to someone else and he's dating the bridgerton girl so mm-hmm. a lot has definitely changed And then I think my third favorite is a pretty recent one, which is our 2020 party episode. We did a little recap on the year uh, to end 2020, and it was just a really fun one because we had like themed cocktails and stuff. Yes. We did a little awards show and we gave things like our favorite reading, watching, and listening. So, that's a really fun one. I'm also mm-hmm. recognizing this is a lot more than three. I think yes. that's three in your one, and that that's four. I, so.
0: I need to add another one. I just realized that one yes, I loved, yes. which maybe was more for the pop culture segment and the politics, was the Poland protests and Fungi the Dolphin. <gasps> Fungi the Dolphin! I just think oh. that it broadened to... The life of non-Irish people so much joy that we would not have accessed otherwise. That it was Thank great. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Now, unfortunately, that dolphin's definitely dead now because he has <laughs> not been heard of since we did that episode. Um, oh, and we also liked uh, our Australia's Julius Caesar and New York Fashion Week episode. I think that title is is mm-hmm. really really great. So, I think that's six. So, really, we've given you just so many
0: options yeah
1: yeah we're really proud of ourselves so guys give us a little high five uh, a little virtual ear (laughs) high five for being with you for three years and then go back and listen to those Mm because we think they're pretty fun uh but we did miss an episode last month so we've got a lot to catch you up on i don't believe we've ever really missed an episode Mike. i I think think we've like taken a break to um create space for other voices before but we did have to take um a month-long break on this one and the reason was covid (laughs) it was Uh, yeah a full year after the pandemic it it came into our lives in a more personal way it
0: really did Yeah.
1: yeah so i guess to kick off the story um my roommate got covid and I was exposed for like four days. So I was pretty confident that I had the Rona and mm-hmm. I went into isolation. Miraculously, I did not. Uh, yeah. So that was truly insane because I definitely do not have a good immune system. Like, I don't know. She must just not have been giving it off. There was no way I fought that off. Like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. But another member of the <laughs> be sad team came down with it. Micah, would you like yeah. to share your experience?
0: Yeah. Um, on Yasmin's birthday, which happened to be her last day of enforced isolation, I got tested. Yes, that was COVID. when I got,
1: like, yes. my second negative test and, like, I was in more the than true a week clear. of no symptoms. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We you were... got a little precaution test,
0: right? Yes. So I got tested many times and <laughs> finally tested positive. Um. In that, like, I had symptoms and my boyfriend had symptoms, but I was not testing positive. Um, but yes, we had COVID, we don't know how we got it. Be careful, that is my cautionary tale. Um, we did not go to parties, we didn't really see anyone, we wore masks everywhere, and we got COVID. So, get vaccinated and wear masks.
1: Oh, that's my big COVID update uh, from the past month is that I got vaccinated. So sorry to really be like, I'm really over here, my God. I'm like, yeah, I just like miraculously didn't get COVID with like <laughs> four days of exposure and I got the vaccine. And you're like, um, I did nothing, nothing. and I still got it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you don't have the vaccine, just to rub that in. And
0: I also, know. yeah, living in Canada, do not yet have the vaccine and will not for many months. There were pro- actually. I think there's some chance that in the month of May it will happen, but I think it's a slim one.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's our big news from yeah. the past month. Uh, other updates: I turned 24.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: by the time that this podcast turns out, Micah, you'll likely be 24 yes, for as well. Sure. So we're both old now. We are officially in our mid-20s. Yes. I was chatting
0: with someone and they were like, you're not, like, we're not that old. And I was like, I'm turning 24 and that makes me solidly without a doubt in my mid-20s. And the look on their face, they were just so shocked when they realized that this was true. 24 is your mid-20s. It's like,
1: yeah, somebody told me that, like, A few weeks like before my birthday, and I was like, "No, that's not true." (laughs) The twenties is when you're like, it's when you're twenty four, isn't it? It's when you're it's when you're twenty four. So that yeah, that that feels weird. I didn't do a lot to celebrate because I was in isolation at that time, but I had an ice cream cake and I got some rollerblades, which I have since used. So that's Mm -hmm. been pretty fun. And since getting vaccinated, I've been able to go to the movies. So. It has it has definitely gone uphill since the end of March and That is good. Yeah, pretty pretty grateful for that. Have you got any other big updates from the past
0: month, Micah? Hmm. I don't really. I I got COVID and then I was tired and then I was very behind on all of my work. Yes, that, and... that sounds stressful. <laughs> it's all good now. But it, actually you know what? Here's my good news. It was absolutely uh-huh. gorgeous here like for our non-american listeners like in it hit like the 20s it was fantastic oh yeah so that was the, the very the best nice. part of my month was that
1: was that while you had the covet or what that was after to, like, we were free feel and fresh could go air out. yeah okay it was great okay that's nice that's nice Now, my question is, while you had the COVID or in any of the interim time, did you read, (laughs) watch,
0: or listen
1: to anything fun? And would you like to start with the reading one?
0: Yeah. Um, So I read The Namesake by Jampa Lahiri, um, which is, Mm -hmm. um, she's a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Um, This book came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was a bit old, Um, which is weird to think of. Like we, are. like us, Micah. It's old, like us. Um, so the namesake, <laughs> <laughs> um, the namesake was um, the story of a Bengali family um, who emigrates to Boston, um, and it's an intergenerational story. <gasps> um, Boston, yeah. He, um, the dad, goes to Harvard, um, but then like a lot of it actually takes place in the Boston suburbs, and then in New York. And the New York stuff very well done very vivid um but the story um shifts from the perspective of the immigrant parents to their son um and it's just like a beautiful read um like Mm -hmm. you completely immerse yourself in the story and the characters are so interesting um and it's um yeah i would highly recommend i'm currently reading her other book now I'm um, loving it just as much.
1: I'm very excited to hear about that one next month. <laughs> and also very excited because I have been on a very, very good reading kick recently. Nice. Like, you know, when you have those times where you can like never find a good book, mm-hmm. I am like on the opposite of that. So if you could keep my streak going with that recommendation, that will be great. Um, But in case any of our dear listeners would like to join a winning streak of reading, I've got two recommendations from the past month. Uh, The first is How to Break Up with Fast Fashion by Lauren Bravo. And this is a nonfiction book that explains why fast fashion is bad for people and the environment and how you can stop buying it. So it's like, you know, pretty standard information but the best thing about this book is the way that it's written so Lauren Bravo like admits straight up to being like a shopping addict and like not being perfect when it comes to being like a quote-unquote good person so she's really able to explain why fast fashion is bad in a way that's like relatable and funny rather than judgmental or righteous and then when she shifts to talking about like how to actually break up with fast fashion and how to shop more sustainably. She offers these really concrete ways of doing so and makes it seem really like positive and creative and inspiring. And I would definitely, definitely recommend this book if you're like starting to feel a little off about fast fashion, like for whatever reasons, you know, whether Mm -hmm. that's like ethics or if you're just like sick of clothes that like fall apart or go out of style in like two seconds or You know, if you're just thinking you're spending too much money at Zara, or you want a wardrobe that feels like a bit more special, a bit more you, then definitely read this. It is really, really fun. I believe it came out because, like, she's a UK writer. I think it came out in the UK like a while ago, and it's a bit more like new to the US. Mm -hmm. But I got it on Apple Books for like nine dollars or something. So it's a pretty um, easy one to find. And then my other recommendation I'm like breathless just (laughs) thinking about this um it is a very very new book it came out just this month called House of Hollow by Crystal Sutherland and I believe I've spoken about Crystal Sutherland like a lot on this podcast because I absolutely love her books especially Our Chemical Hearts which is like one of my favorite YA books ever and like the ultimate comfort read for me and recently got made into a movie, which I didn't love as much as the book, but Mm -hmm. the book just holds like such a special place for me. And the house of hollow is one that I've been like really, really eagerly anticipating this year. Um, I know the two of us are pretty excited about people. We meet on vacation by Emily Mm -hmm. Henry because we loved beach read And One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston because we loved um, Red, White, and Royal Blue. Mm -hmm. Red, red, White, Red, what did I say? (laughs) Red, White, white, and Royal Blue. Uh, But this is the third one for me that I was so freaking excited about. So now that I've just said how excited I am for about four minutes, I will (laughs) tell you what it is about. And it is about um, a 17-year-old called Iris Hollow. But on that, like this book isn't super YA. It's... Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, I wouldn't really put it in, like, the deep YA category. It's one everyone can enjoy and be horrified bit by, but uh, basically 10 years ago, she and her two older sisters, Grey and Vivi, disappeared on a family trip to Scotland, only to turn up again a month later in exactly the same spot they vanished from, but they had no memory of where they'd been for the past month, like, no idea what had happened. And then soon their, like, dark hair turned completely white. And their, like, blue eyes turned black. And they had this kind of, like, just strange energy. And, Mm. like, despite all this weirdness, um, you know, we catch up with them 10 years later. And Grey, the oldest sister, is now, like, a world-famous model and designer. And Vivi, the middle sister, is in a European punk band. But Iris is just trying to, like, get on with high school life and she's like doing an okay job of it until gray disappears again and another mystery unfolds or you know a continuation of the original one and oh my gosh what unfolds is just Mm -hmm. like amazing and horrifying all at once it's like a really dark twisted fairy tale that's like truly truly disturbing but beautifully written like one of one like, oh, I was like, I, I gobbled the whole thing up in like a day because I couldn't stop reading it because the plot mm-hmm. was so exciting. But like the whole time, like, descriptions were just like catching my eye. And I was like, okay, I have to go back and like read this again for how beautiful it is. There was like so much focus on like really haunting descriptions of light and animals and flowers and scents. And oh, and it it's just, it's just stunning. If I have done anything, I hope I have sold everyone on this <sighs> book. I am freaking obsessed with it. It's, oh. So so good. Tell me you'll read it, Micah. Please, just just give me some life here. It sounds good. Okay, definitely will. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Convince me of something. I shall watch. What did you watch this Mm.
0: month? Um, So everyone who gets COVID should have a COVID show. Um, Mm -hmm. My COVID show um, was Better Call Saul because it is John's favorite show ever. Um, If you you are (laughs) really yeah. Um, it's great. Um, if you're out of the loop, it's the prequel to Breaking Bad, about the smarmy lawyer, um, who helps all the criminals in the show. I have not seen Breaking Bad. Um, and I still liked this. Hmm. Um, it's great, um, super compelling. The direction of the show, as in, like, the directing, great. Like, they it's much more like a movie in certain ways, like, they- Really play with camera angles, and like it's just kind of blows me away that it's a TV show sometimes. Um, so would recommend that if mm. you're looking for something to binge, um, if you're looking for something um, to lighten your heart and your mood. Um, I recently watched The Broken Hearts Club, um, which is a rom com that it came out last year, this year, um. I, I have, I have a question, Michael. Yes. Is
1: this maybe called Broken Hearts Gallery by any chance?
0: It totally is. I don't know why I wrote this down wrong, but it is called. Broken because Hearts I know the only
1: reason I say it is because I was so excited. Um, for anyone who is listening, we're very professional. We have a Google Doc that we make some notes in before <laughs> the show, and I was like so excited when I saw this, and I looked up Broken Hearts Club, and it was like some baseball romantic comedy from like the 90s and I was like this doesn't sound Sounds the same right.
0: no it is Broken Hearts Gallery okay <laughs> I, I, I wrote this while watching it I was like this is so good I'm gonna add it to the thing mm-hmm. it was so good in that it was like exactly what I needed in the time it's very cute mm-hmm. it's very cliched it's romance so it's um stars L- Lucy is the main character and she's a hopeless romantic. And a bit of a hoarder, she keeps a keepsake from every relationship she's been in, and um, so it's like just one or two then keepsakes.
1: Yeah, in it's- our cases, Micah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she has
1: a lot of keepsakes. Um, oh, she's a bit more adventurous than us.
0: <laughs> um, her. The guy in it is called Nick. He's a cynic um, about love, and he's struggling to open a cool hotel in Brooklyn. Um, and Lucy, convin- I know Lucy convinces Nick to let her start a gallery with people's things from past relationships as like a way to help them let go. She's like in art and like does gallery curation. It's um, it's just very cute and fun would recommend um it has one of my newest favorite actresses Molly Gordon she um is in Book Smart um she plays um yes what do they call her triple a cuz she provides roadside assistance yeah um, yeah but she's also in um Shiva Baby which is um another movie i watched this month and would recommend which is about um it's like half comedy half horror movie ish about um a jewish girl who is currently a sugar baby who's at a shiva which is a jewish funeral oh service oh interesting
1: Mm -hmm. oh okay i didn't put those two things together so yes that's pretty cool
0: it's I i would recommend both of those movies but molly gordon is just great and i'm so excited to see what she does next
1: Oh, I love finding a new favorite actor. That's mm-hmm. so fun. Yeah. I think I found one as well this month, um, because the movie that I'm gonna shout out is the first movie that I've really seen in theaters since COVID, and that is Minari. Um, I did see News for the World a while ago, which I believe I mentioned on the podcast, but that was while more like my friends and I run it out of theater. Mm-hmm. This was just like seeing it regularly with other humans because I'm vaccinated, which is fully crazy. But if you don't know, um, which I for some reason thought everyone <laughs> knew about Minari, but I feel yeah. like I've been now indoctrinated in the the film circle. Oh, so- when you did
0: start doing a film person, all of a sudden you know about movies no one knows about. Yeah,
1: I've said this to, like, countless people in my life, and I'm like,
0: huh, never heard of
1: that. And I'm like, oh, I feel like all I've heard about is Minari for months, but yeah. cool. So Minari is about a Korean family of four who are later joined by um, the mom and the family's mother. And they move to this, like, farm in, like, the middle of nowhere Arkansas in search of their own kind of American dream. And it's just, like, a very heartfelt movie about family it's super super enjoyable the grandmother in it is the actress i'm talking about she is amazing she just won the oscar for best supporting actress and it's like so well deserved she is like the highlight of the movie she Mm -hmm. is so so good there's a bit which i like i'm not a spoiler but she does something towards the end that honestly had the whole theater like okay me and like the six other people who were there <laughs> be like oh, no no grandma like people were like audibly mm-hmm. groaning because she just like yeah she's a great character and also when i was there i got a coke flavored icy so i was just it was a beautiful day all around sounds um, lovely yeah i do have one other watching thing to recommend which i'm gonna uh shoehorn in because I don't have a listening for this month, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you another watching. But I don't know. I don't know if I should admit to this, but um, last night, as I was, you know, doing a little bit of prep and research for this, I accidentally watched the whole Girl Boss show on Netflix. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, which is the series about uh, the founder of Nasty Gal and how, yeah. like, Nasty Gal the clothing uh, online clothing store that went famously went bankrupt, uh how they like got their start. And oh I got I got into it. Like clearly I got into it because I watched the whole season, mm-hmm. like the one season that was made before it got cancelled. It is absolutely ridiculous. And the main character they say at the beginning that it's like a very loose interpretation of real events. And I hope it's a loose interpretation of her character because, like, it's mm. not flattering. Like, mm-hmm. she's awful. And I'm not saying, like, you know, that she's awful and likable because she's, like, a woman and, like, we don't have leniences for that. But, like, she's legit, like, really bad. Like, her friend, like, she just does such bad things. Like, there's an instance where her, because this is set in, like, 2006 or something. And she wants to get, like, Nasty Gal it starts off as like a vintage like ebay uh Mm -hmm. profile and she wants to get that off the ground so she's like doing like myspace a lot but she's made like her top eight friends like oprah and like publications and stuff Mm -hmm. and her friend was like hey it's important to me like i am in your top eight and she's like no f you and they have like a huge falling out or like her friend, like, asks if she could come, like, work for her at nasty gal because, like, she has the money to pay her and stuff. And she's, like, no, there's, like, not a place for you here. Like, I'm nasty gal. It's not you. You're dispensable. I'm the important one. Like, she literally says these words. And it's, like, very insane. But there's some cute clothes. There's some good music. And I, I got kind of into it, unfortunately. So, <laughs> yeah. That's my confession. That's my confession. No. Um What about your listening? Because I'm not going to contribute to this. I feel like I need to stop contributing because I'm going to embarrass myself
0: further. Um, I'll join you in the embarrassment and say that I did read the nasty, uh, the girl boss book. You read it? Yeah, like way back in the day before it was what even did a she- show. What did you think of it? She's deeply unlikable in the book too. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> As far as I remember, I mean, it's, like, when did that book come out? Like, it's been, like, six years, at least. It will be a while, because I think the show came out in, like, 2017, so, which was,
1: like, four years ago now, so it would have had to have been, like, a couple years before that.
0: And it, like, really, like, oh, because the book is actually called Hashtag Girlboss by Sophia Amoroso, um, which is just embarrassing. It came out in 2014, so it is seven years old. Um... We are old. This whole thing is just making me <laughs> realize how old we are. So yeah, I was like, I must have read that in high school. I did read it in high school. Um, yeah, it, I feel yeah. bad. I feel like i but we've been
1: ragging on it a lot. It's hugely problematic, like in a lot of ways. But I freaking, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on the fence with this one, uh, Sophia. If you're listening. Sorry. I think I'd like to be your friend. Um, I'm sorry.
0: So both <laughs> both of the things are true. No. Um, okay. Okay. Sincerely, moving on. Listening. Listening. Um, we have two albums to recommend. Um, one yeah. is called Somewhere by Sun June. Um, they're an Austin-based indie band. Just like very pretty, good chill study music. It's very mm-hmm. like melan- It's melancholic, but without being like too sad. Um. So okay, good, good mix. Yes um, And then I also recommend um, Today We're the Greatest Which is the new Middle Kids album Who I think I recommended their first album In like our second episode um, They're from Australia I think you
1: did This name um, seems really familiar
0: um, I don't like this album as much as the last one But um, It's always nice to get new music from bands you love And I f- have a feeling it'll grow on me As I listen to it more So,
1: I'm excited to, like... Do you think it should have been called Yesterday, We're the Greatest, then? (laughs) um, (laughs) Micah, please insert a little little drum noise there. Uh, I'll add the snares just for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think that's all we have in recommendations this month. So, this month, um, I... I don't know if you've been listening for a while, for these whole three years, um, you know that I often like to talk about things that we don't traditionally understand to be political, but that really are. Um, just a spoiler for what you missed last month, I was going to talk about the boat, but now the boat is <gasps> such old news. Um, the boat! boat! I'm not even. We're not even going to tell you which boat it is, so you have to think back to what was happening in March 2020 if you're listening to this far, in the, or 2021 if you're listening to this far in the future. Just the boat. <laughs> um, but so what funny. I'm going to talk about this month is um, childcare, care, specifically government-funded childcare. Um, so I think it's a great example Ooh. of something that's really mundane, but actually has a profound influence on individuals and society at large. Um, so just a caveat. I unfortunately, when discussing childcare, you it's really easy to step into kind of cis and hetero language um, because almost all mm-hmm. of this research is done on heterosexual couples and people who identify as women, um, and uses the gender binary quite a lot. But it, it is the case that like these issues are more complex than that. Um, it's just the data is not out there, and someone should make it. um so to start us off, um, what do we mean when we say we're talking about the politics of child care? So that means um, the provision of free or discounted childcare services um, for kids below school age um, that's provided by the government to all those who need it. And obviously that looks like incredibly different country to country, um, state to state, mm-hmm. province to province. Um, but if you think about it, five years is a huge amount of time Um, for someone, and and normally it's a woman, um, mothers, um, to be out of the workforce and taking care of children. And that's
1: just one kid. Like, yeah, it's like one thing to say five years, but like, I don't know a ton of only kids. Like, if that is someone's, you know, typically mom, they've probably taken way more than five years out.
0: Oh, yeah. Like you could even if you don't have them, like, even if you have them one after another, it's still, like, six, seven. Yeah. Um, and I, the fact that it's mothers is, I think, really important. Like, the societal expectation is that women will be taking time off work to take off, to care of children. Um, and that if they aren't, then it's their responsibility in some way to figure out how to get their children taken care of.
1: Um, Do you think that comes from, like, the early, like, biological reasons, like, for that in that, you know, when babies are little, they need or often need to be, like, breastfed? So it's – or, like, either traditionally or maybe even now that, like, couples kind of, like, make a decision that's right for that time and then it ends up going on a lot longer.
0: I think there's, like, so many different factors in it. Like, obviously – if you choose to breastfeed, then like, yeah, whoever I mean it's not necessarily a woman, but like typically yeah. um that's the person who um is responsible for that. Um mm-hmm. but I think also it's the kind of not just societal expectation that women will have like it's that it's the whole like life cycle. Like women are expected to have children that they want to have children. That um, um that they care more about what they're doing, like this kind of like trope of fathers babysit, but yeah. women take care of their kids. Um sure. and I think even if you're making yeah. um like equitable decisions within a relationship of equals, in a lot of like statistically we know in heterosexual relationships that women take on more responsibilities when it comes to children, even if they see themselves in this, like, feminist relationship, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah, no, that, okay, yeah, now the more that I'm thinking about it, you're, that makes a lot of sense, and, like, there's so many other factors you could bring in as well, like, when you've got things like, um, you know, like, patriarchal, or, like, workplaces, or, um, like, gender pay gaps, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you may have like a situation where it makes more like financial sense for the woman to, ag- again, like just u- using the heteronormative language for the, for the woman to like stay at home um, yeah. because the man has, has been given um, more opportunities to make more money for the family.
0: Yeah. So I think like, obviously every family is individually different and, yes. and like yeah. makes their own choices, but like across the board, statistically we see that there are these trends. Um, Okay. And so I think childcare is often couched as like an economic thing, like an issue of like who makes money, when Mm. do they make it, how much money is the country making? Um, And I think those things are important. Like those things are deeply connected to like people's everyday prospering. But also I think given like the current time we're in, but also just like my politics, um, it's important to note that like these are issues like child, universal child care is a solution to problems that are caused by capitalism um, but it is a solution mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that works within the capitalist system for the most part so while it like universal child care is very important and helps a lot of people it isn't like going to stop like some of the problems caused by capitalism that we like are systematic right. and would require switching yeah. systems So that's just, like, a caveat. I think the people who, like, childcare can be a very, like, single issue that people focus on that doesn't, like, it's not Mm -hmm. the only solution to these problems, but it is an important one. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are my caveats, Um, but I thought I'd go through, like... All the caveats, that boy. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Welcome to an academic... Um that's all I do every day. Happy <laughs> Um, so there are like a couple reasons why um having government subsidized childcare would be really useful. One is what Yasmin mentioned is the gender wage gap. Um so if you don't know the gender either gender wage or gender pay gap, um reflects that is the concept that women are getting paid less for men and not just like mm-hmm. in general, but in comparable roles. Um, and so in the US, the kind of like, it has been increasing, but has now stagnated in the very well-known number of 73 cents to the man- male dollar. Um, and we see this gap like across the, you could say developed world. Um, and new research has shown that part of the gender pay gap is children. So we see that women who have children see their wages plummet um, when they have kids, and then they never come back to the point that men are at. Um, Women who Mm. don't have children also have lower wages than men, but are still a little bit higher than women who do have children. Fascinatingly, and this shows that it is a bit about gender, or a lot about gender, is that men who have children receive A higher salary than men without children oh my gosh
1: that's so strange
0: yeah so i think that comes back to the notion that like men have a family to take care of whereas women have burdens at home which means they'll be bad at their job um
1: right so it's like this idea that you know you've you've taken however much time out of the workplace um even just to like go on maternity leave or something. Yeah. So now you're not as good as your job anymore or now you're gonna be distracted. But oh, we're gonna give this guy like a pat on the back and we're actually like helping out his family. So like yeah. here is a little salary bump.
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. Um so another related to wage and un- before wage even is that women are underemployed compared to men. Mm. Um so worldwide, 49% of women are actively working compared to 75% of men. And you could be like, well, oh. yeah, maybe women are choosing not to work. Well, a recent poll found that 70% of women would like to be working instead of doing unpaid labor at home. Huh. Um, so there's a like 20% gap between those who are working and those who want to be. Um obviously like you choose to work at home or like live and do domestic labor is incredibly important and like keep society going. But um, there's clearly a gap where people do want to be working and they can't. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, and obviously it's not all related to childcare access, but part of it is. Um, So what's the state of childcare right now? Um, Pretty bad, Childcare has been increasing in costs in the U.S. and Canada and comparable countries for years. Um, oftentimes, it um, putting a singular child through day- daycare costs more than rent itself. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So this often forces couples to decide whether it's even worth it for one of the partners, usually the woman in the relationship, to work at all because it's going to cost more her whole entire salary just to put the kid through daycare. Um, so as an example, in Toronto, it, which has the highest t- child care costs in Canada, um, it costs over $1,500 a month to send a singular child to child care.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, what and if just, you have more than one?
0: Yeah, if you have more than one. like um, yeah. there's. I've been reading a lot about this, and there's all this anecdotal evidence about how people choose to only have a singular child because they can't afford to have another one those five years that they're not in school yeah um so covid has obviously changed everything but especially the way that we work and the way that how we live at home looks like um so the gender wage gap has increased in the u.s for the first time in years um Mm. it's really important to note that note though that almost the entirety of this gap is accounted for by the lost wages of women of color and not white women. So white women are perfectly fine, but women of color have been have a higher, bigger gap than they used to. Um mm-hmm. we've seen a huge gap in women who are actively looking for jobs um, in the US and Canada and around the world. Um, so there's less that number of like seventy percent seventy percent would like to work. Um actually no um it's that number of forty nine percent. So it's 'Cause forty-nine percent of active job seekers and people who have work. Um, but now people are just even if they want to, aren't looking for jobs. Um and yeah. we've seen um schools and acres being closed and women are disproportionately taking over child rearing responsibilities in heterosexual relationships. So like every two months on Twitter there's a new new story going around about like women working full-time from home while also taking care of their children while their husbands are just working full-time from home and don't take over how raising their children at all. Um, That's, like, fully bizarre. And this whole working from home
1: thing, like, has just made me think, like, it's been easy enough for me to do it because I don't have, you know, any responsibilities. But even when I was, like, puppy-sitting for a dog, I was like, oh, this is – this is, like, something to think about while I'm working, you know? I have to be, like, okay, this is what I have to, like, do on my lunch break. Or, like, you know, you're still kind of, like, keeping a little eye out as you're typing on your laptop. But, like, what if that's a whole human? That's, I know. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. I, what if you have to, like, uh, homeschool them as well? Like, what if they are, yeah. you know, that, that's the thing. Like, we've been talking about the, the preschool years, but, like, what if they, they're they school age and you're trying to teach them stuff? Absolutely not. How does that? How would Completely that work? Completely
0: bonkers. I like have yeah. such sympathy for like all parents during the pandemic, but especially oh mothers who are like taking this on. Yeah. Um. So what we have all these issues. Covid has exacerbated them. Um. What does government-funded childcare actually do? So mm-hmm. on a like grand national scale. Certain economists have estimated that every dollar that the government puts into child care can lead to a $1.50 to a $2.80 return in the general economy. So it's an economic boost overall, because all that money people would huh. be, one, spending on child care is getting spent somewhere else. And two, they're making more money because they can actually afford to work. Um we also know that subsidizing childcare results in more employment for women. So, Quebec, a uh, province in Canada, has had um, universal childcare at 480 a month, as it is currently, um, for the last 24 years, since 1997. Um, mm-hmm. And before. The Institute of child- Universal Child Care, their employment was 4% below the national average or the rest of Canada. Mm-hmm. And now it's 4% above. So women are much oh, wow. more participating in the workforce. Yeah. Um, I think also we're going back to like what we talked about at the beginning. I think universal child care will have, would have an intangible, less tangible kind of effect on how we understand who should be taking care of kids if we understand that the government is in some way responsible for making sure that kids Mm. like are taken care of so their parents can work, then we take away that responsibility solely from individual mothers and put it into a collective responsibility. Um, and maybe that'll shift a bit how we understand who like who takes care of kids. Um, Additionally, this is something the Canadian government has been pushing a lot. Um, childcare actually could benefit kids in the long run. Studies show that kids who go to full time daycare, oh. um, like flourish um, socially and have better academic and economic success in the future. So, the reason why we're talking about childcare today, not just because it's really interesting, um, is because Canada is actually finally getting universal childcare or affordable childcare. Um, which Yay! is f- fantastic. So feminists in Canada um, have been fighting for some sort of government-funded childcare for 40 years. It's been one of the main parts of the feminist wow. agenda. Um, and finally, um, after 40 years, that it's happening. So the goal is to have a 50% reduction in costs by the end of 2022. And um, and to eventually have oh, a $10. That's, soon. that's super soon. Um, but eventually, they want to have $10 a day childcare. So that's, if you want me to do the quick math for yeah. $300 a month, um, which for people in Toronto is wow. like a third of what they're currently paying. Um, they're saving like $1,200. Yeah. Um, and that's going to, the goal part of this is to like, create new child care facilities, hire new people who are trained and competent and give them good jobs. Um, but it's really exciting. I think one thing we haven't touched on is the argument that, well, if you don't want to pay for childcare, you shouldn't have kids. Um, which I wanted to touch on really quickly because I think that's a knee jerk reaction, but at the end of the day, if that's our attitude, it means that only those who are rich enough to afford to will be able to have kids, and everyone yeah. else won't be, and that seems deeply unfair. Um, it should be a choice Absolutely, that you can yeah. actively make, not because of economic circumstances, but because of like what you want your life to look like.
1: Yeah, that's like really depressing if we have to like live in countries where you have like so little support that unless like you've managed to make a lot of money which is again like that's not just you don't you're not an island there's a lot of factors mm-hmm. that come into play that then like you've got huge life decisions like taken away from you like that's ridiculous yeah.
0: so that was my Spiel. It seems like other countries are also moving towards maybe making this a part of their COVID relief plans because it seems like a great way to get people back to work. Yeah, um, yeah, and to bring new jobs in that didn't exist before. I know the UK is like potentially thinking about it, um, but yeah, that's that is my impassioned argument for why childcare is political. Thank you,
1: Minka. This was such a fun old chat. Okay, so for our pop culture segment of the show this month, I am going to be talking about uh, singer and actress Demi Lovato, who recently walked into a yogurt store and things got complicated. We're going to talk about what's happened and what it means, but just to uh, kind of follow in Micah's footsteps and offer a lot of caveats here, uh, this section will have a trigger warning for uh, eating disorders, uh, drug abuse, uh, suicide, uh, a lot of different uh, mental health uh, trigger warnings here. So please, if, if this feels like something that isn't um, right for you, tune back in next month. This is nearly the end of the episode. So do what's best for you. Um also I am not an expert on eating disorders and I am not demi lavato, so I am not mm-hmm. gonna try and uh speak for her or um try and like rationalize things or give like a right and wrong uh way to feel or experience things. And this is like gonna be in at some points lighthearted, but this isn't like us just like uh like laughing at her or mocking her because I were doing this segment because that's what I kind of felt was missing from this discussion mm-hmm. was like somebody actually doing like a little deep dive and really pulling it apart and doing it with like compassion and sensitivity it feels like uh it's been very emotional uh, no matter what side of the fence you're on and uh the kind of like mocking and making a meme out of its side has been louder and there's definitely, you know, uh, critique to be made, but we're going to try to do it in a constructive way here. So that's all I've got to say there. So to jump in, let's do a little recap on who Demi Lovato is. Micah, did you grow up with Demi as a figure in your life? Because she definitely inspired some bangs for me back in. Oh, completely. The I, days.
0: I was obsessed with her first album. Yeah. That was the one where she
1: sang about wearing Converse with her dress, I believe. And yes. it was very influential.
0: hmm
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned before, she's a singer and actress. She's now 28 years old and originally rose to fame on Disney Channel. So you might know her from movies like Camp Rock or TV shows like So Random. And um, even much prior to that, Barney and Friends when she was very, very young. And she's had some pretty big hits over the past like few years. So there was like Cool for the Summer a few years ago that was pretty big and Sorry Not Sorry. I'm sure there's more recent ones, but they're kind of like the big ones that uh, mm-hmm. stick out to me. But she's also been quite a prominent figure in the news because she has been through a lot of health struggles so mm-hmm. she had um, suffered from bipolar disorder, self harm, sexual assault, and uh, being bullied before she went into rehab at age just eighteen. Um, and she had like famously revealed that you know she had been doing a lot of drugs. There was like yeah, the famous revelation yeah. that she was like doing cocaine several times a day and like smuggling it onto airplanes because she um, had just fallen into a pretty bad addiction there and uh, was doing a lot better. But in 2018, she released the single Sober, in which she revealed that she had relapsed after six years of sobriety. So that was a pretty brave thing to do. But about a month after that song came out, she was rushed to hospital um, due to an opioid overdose and remained there for about two weeks before uh, entering a rehab facility. And that instance had like huge media attention i'm mm-hmm. i'm sure you all remember it it actually made her the most googled person of 2018 ahead of Meghan markle which was like the year that she married prince harry and yeah uh piece of crap brett kavanaugh so yeah obviously a pretty big story i mean that's like another topic entirely but it did push the topic of drug addiction into like the celebrity realm of headlines and really challenge people's ideas of who suffers from this like it can be young beautiful successful women who are actively trying to overcome it like it's not this like stereotypical idea of like drug addiction that people think it is Mm -hmm. but one health struggle and the one that's like relevant to the story at hand that she's dealt with for a very long time is with eating disorders so um according to wikipedia she has had anorexia nervosa like binge type um and she's also spoken out about having um bulimia so you know years ago she had told abc news that she had been like compulsively overeating when she was just eight years old and that's where that sort of began and it's something that she's she's like spoken about pretty openly she's had a few documentaries where she's spoken about it and she's also spoken up about it So Mm -hmm. the incident that I'm about to go into is not the first example of her speaking out for people with eating disorders. In 2011, when she was like 18, she called out Disney Channel for episodes of Shake It Up and So Random, in which characters joked about eating disorders. Oh, I would actually like to say that previously I meant that she was in Sunny with a Chance. She was not in So Random. So Mm -hmm. Random was like a Sunny with a Chance spinoff. But The joke on Shake It Up was a character saying, "Um, I could just eat you up, well, if I ate. And then a bunch of other characters laughing. And she tweeted at the time, what are we promoting here? Hashtag not funny at all. I find it really funny how a company can lose one of their actresses from the pressures of an eating disorder and yet still make a joke about that very disease. And then later on said, and is it just me or are the actresses getting thinner and thinner? I miss the days of Raven and Lisa McGuire. Dear Disney Channel, eating disorders are not something to joke about. And Disney Channel responded by pulling the episodes and Mm -hmm. she clarified later on that she was like, you know, not saying anything specific about any actor or actress or TV show. And, you know, wasn't body shaming girls who aren't. Curvy was just kind of like saying that making jokes about eating disorders is not cool and that we should have more um a buddy variety on television so that young girls don't feel a pressure to look a certain way and i kind of bring this up now because it'll be important later and because i think the way she called out this company was um pretty good like it's a company that she worked with and as she mentioned like lost her from like as Mm -hmm. as as an employee essentially because she was suffering from an eating disorder. So it's, you know, pretty poor that they were then making jokes about, you know, they're effectively ignoring her experience when they allow these to happen. And there's no other interpretation of this joke. Like it was really making light of not eating specifically to an audience of probably female, like, Children, you know, so that's a little bit different than what happened this month. So, um, on a Sunday in um, mid April, Demi visited a frozen yogurt store in Los Angeles called The Big Chill, where she saw certain treats being sold that she uh, called diet foods. And I think, sort of like maybe the placement of them in this store. Um, you know, frozen yogurt is often positioned as, like, a low-calorie alternative to ice cream. Um, mm-hmm. But the treats itself is what is what Demi had um, an issue with. And she took to Instagram um, to her stories to say the following. She said, Finding it extremely hard to order froyo from at the Big Chill official when you have to walk past tons of sugar-free cookies slash other diet foods before you get to the counter do better please. I will be calling out harmful messaging from brands or companies that perpetuate a society that not only enables but praises disordered eating. And then she used the hashtag diet culture vultures. So the big chill responded pretty quickly saying, um, we carry items for diabetics, celiac disease, vegans, and of course have many indulgent items as well. And, you know, they specifically told her that we are not diet vultures. We cater to all of our customers' needs for the past 36 years, and we're sorry that you found this offensive. So they were kind of like not admitting fault, and the public was like pretty on, on their side as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There was like a few messages back and forth, and Demi did uh, follow on to say, you can carry things for other people while also caring for another percentage of your customers who struggle daily just to even step foot inside your store. You can find a way to provide an inviting environment for all people with different needs, including eating disorders. One of the deadliest mental illnesses, only second to opioid overdoses. Don't make excuses, just do better. Um, People weren't really happy with this. There was kind of like a lot of mockery online of like people saying that she had been uh, triggered and, you know, her reaction was like way over the top and like very attacky and uncalled for and like misplaced which we will get into all of that later but she did sort of like upload this apology video of sorts uh, a few days mm-hmm. later where she said I'm sorry that I may have disappointed some people I'm not coming after a small business and someone with a lot of followers it's not what I'm doing I walked into a situation that didn't sit right with me my intuition said speak up about it. So I did and I feel good about that. I'm sorry if it got misconstrued. I don't always get it right. I speak my mind. I get assu- uh, opinionated. Everything I'm doing is well-intentioned. So that's essentially the facts of the situation is mm-hmm. that Jamie Lovater, who has had um, a history of disordered eating, went to a store where she believed that was being praised or promoted and she spoke out about it in a very critical way on social media, and um, people were not happy with it and mm-hmm. kind of like mocked um, her reaction a lot. But yeah, before you know, we kind of pass judgment. I think it will be really good to just like pull apart the different threads here. So the thing that's like really at the center of this is diet culture. So. Um, You know, things like eating disorders don't exist in a vacuum. You just, like, you know, people generally don't wake up just, like, feeling like they don't want to eat anyway, you know, anymore. They're they're feeling that a pressure to look or act in a certain way because of the expectations of society. So UC San Diego uh, defines diet culture as a set of beliefs that values thinness, appearance, and shape above health and well-being. Additionally, the concept places importance on restricting calories, normalizes negative self-talk, and labels certain foods as good and bad. Individuals subjected to diet culture messages have been conditioned to believe that not only does thinness and dieting equate to health, but the the pursuit of health makes one person morally superior to another. So I think that's a pretty good explanation. Um, You know, some other people have pointed out that diet culture uh, encourages people to make rules around eating. It encourages the idea that You know, people are more or less good or moral or worthy based on their body size, and it creates this idea of thin privilege. And yeah, uh, to relate directly back to this, it fosters eating disorders. And Mm -hmm. eating disorders are extremely serious. I think some people kind of like scoffed at Demi's like assertion that they're like the second. deadliest mental mental illness in the u.s like and i thought it was a bit like ridiculous that she was comparing like an eating disorder to an opioid overdose but um they're really bad and they're really Mm -hmm. freaking serious so uh it will affect eating disorders will affect about 28.8 million americans in their lifetimes and less than six percent of people with eating disorders are medically diagnosed as underweight so it's not about having this like I mean, like, as we were growing up, there was this whole idea of, like, someone looks anorexic. Um, I'm doing this all in quotations, and it's that idea that they're, like, super, super skinny, but that's not a guarantee that someone has an eating disorder, Mm -hmm. and it's not um, the only indication of one either. Like, people have um, plenty of different body types and have very serious eating disorders, Um, and there's a direct eating disorder related death in the U S every 52 minutes and about 26% of people with eating disorders attempt suicide. So this is really freaking serious. And it is insane that like that has been, or that like, yeah, the, the, a a culture that fosters them has been so widely accepted. So just want to put all that out there. Um and then I think another thing that people are missing about the story are the specific treats that gave Demi the impression that they were contributing to diet culture. So the treats are not like these were not like little toppings, like you know, when you go to a frozen yogurt store and there's like the little like like topping buckets yeah. that you like put on your frozen yeah, and it just says like M and M's or something. It's not that. They were actually these like packaged treats. Um, by a company called eat me guilt free and eat me guilt free is a company that was started in uh, 2013 by a registered nurse and certified sports nutritionist and um, on their website it says it was created to fill a void for um, her original customers which were clients the um, Christy Besu, who is the registered nurse and certified sports nutritionist and the founder worked closely with to craft nutrition programs, helping with everything from disease management to improving labs to just being able to move and feel better about themselves. And an Instagram post in response to this incident read, at Eat Me Guilt Free, it has never been our intention to spark feelings of guilt when eating any food. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We strive to modify recipes of food that people love and crave, but traditionally feel less proud of eating because of high sugar content and many other refined ingredients. So, basically, this company sells things like little brownies and cookies and stuff, but, like, yeah, with, like, less sugar or, like, less calories. And they have asserted that that is not just to help people lose weight. It's for a variety of reasons. You know, it might be that someone has diabetes Mm -hmm. or they might need to um, improve labs in some way. So, that's all very valid. Interestingly enough, a comment I noticed on this Instagram post was from Juan Camil Nangiani, who we have spoken about on this uh, pod, and he said, "Your brownies are so dang good. I live on them, and your cinnamon toast and your pumpkin bread thingy. Your desserts help me stay on track while still indulging my sweet tooth. Don't change a thing." So, you know, we know that he underwent like a pretty radical body transformation for his Marvel role and he's like very dedicated to his Mm -hmm. diet and exercise regimen and like these help his mental health um he's spoken about this in his podcast that we love during quarantine um staying in with Emily and Kamal that was the name of it right Yeah. yeah um so you know this like proves that these products you know definitely do like, they, they work for people. They're, they're not just for people who want to lose weight. They're for people who are using them in, like, a variety of different ways. Um yeah. But to me, it seems like the name of the product was maybe the root of Demi's problem. Like Yes. Yeah. Like, I, I, I feel like, like – I don't want to make compar- comparisons, like, here, because people have said a lot of things. Like, oh, this is like if an alcoholic is complaining about, like, you know, bars and pubs or something. But, like – you know there's lots of like low calorie foods or like things like that and and you know they're not all inherently about losing weight as this one has like proven that it's not Mm -hmm. either um but I feel like the name of it is that she um has a problem with like calling them eat me guilt-free and that guilt is about eating something that's like has a higher calorie or sugar content and that might promote weight gain or like not helping you reach these like goals or like stick within your diet. Um, Mm -hmm. And she did say, she wrote to The Big Chill, I was thinking maybe it would help if you made it more clear that the sugar-free options and vegan options are for that. Labeling the snacks for celiac or diabetes or vegans. When it's not super clear, the messaging gets confusing and being in LA, it's really hard to distinguish diet culture versus health needs. I think clearer messaging would be beneficial for everyone. You aren't wrong for catering to many different needs, but it's about not excluding one demographic to cater for another. Parts of that are a little cringy. That wording, like, it feels a little backpedaling. Um, yeah. But Jamila Jamil, who is the Good Place actress who often speaks up about diet culture, um, chimed in saying, "Okay, I want to try avoid making the story bigger than it already is. But if an eating disorder advocate says she sees products that are positioned as guilt free," Is, are potentially triggering, that doesn't mean she's too stupid to remember that diabetics exist. It just means that we need to change the marketing of products that are for people's medical needs. So, like, I don't know if that's, like, a perfect suggestion because, like, I don't think it's exactly fair to single people out if they've got, like, health conditions, you know, if they have to go to a store or, like, a frozen yogurt shop or something and something says, like, four diabetics or, like, four people with celiac disease. You know, you don't always want to feel singled out in that way Mm -hmm. but like I this is like a very unpopular opinion because everyone is like very much on the yogurt store and the eat me guilt-free um company side but I think the name of that company doesn't work like people have specific diets for reasons other than weight loss and yes they would likely feel guilty if they broke those diets because they're doing it for, you know, other reasons and like they would not feel good about it afterwards because it could really impact their health that like, you know, a doctor has asked them to follow that diet. But I do find it kind of bizarre mm-hmm. that this company didn't realize that one of the possible interpretations of their name is one that could damage like 28 million people. Like as someone who works on branding projects for companies and like I like in my line of work I do things like naming brands and like collections and products and like features I wouldn't have chosen this name like I think that it's kind of bad because like yeah it, it it upsets people like I wouldn't choose a name that could upset people in this way so
0: mm-hmm. and like I think I wonder if the association of guilt with any type of eating is part of diet culture. Like, if you're diabetic and you accidentally eat or you on purpose eat sugar, like, mm. you shouldn't feel guilty about that. Like, like you made a mistake and you, like, continue. But, like, the notion that you should feel guilty because, like, it's really hard to live with a disability. Like... If you I I know people are like Mm. on the fence about whether diabetes is a disability and people like have very strong opinions about it. But like you shouldn't feel guilty that you like live in a world that isn't built to like accommodate Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the
1: word guilt I just yeah, I'm not sure it should belong with food. Like obviously that guilt is like differently placed when it comes to something like diabetes because like yeah, unfortunately, like it, 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 I guess it's like the difference between making a choice that like could actually affect your health versus like one, in the case of like an eating disorder that like is is not like you're. It, it's like you probably should eat the the full version of it. But as you said, yeah, someone who has like diabetes mm-hmm. shouldn't feel bad about shouldn't have to feel bad about eating things either. You know, there shouldn't be guilt associated with food. So. Um, I don't think what this company is offering is wrong like I agree with someone like Camille. like their recipes seem really great they sound delicious and they seem really good for people who um, are using them for reasons other than eating disorders Um, but the name of it is not good and I think getting on to Demi's response, I think if she had, like, just raised that in a better way, people will be kind of on her side, because I think people are not actually grasping, like, I think people don't understand that that's what she's calling out, like, specifically, I think people think that she saw, like, sugar-free, like, cookie toppings or something, like, at a yogurt store and was, like, triggered by it, but um, it's kind of different. But to kind of more be on those people's side a little bit, um, I do think her response was, like, incredibly strange. Um, That's not to, like, invalidate her feelings or anything. Like, I think she's absolutely entitled to, like, have those feelings and, like, whatever response she feels should come from that. Like, you do you, girl. But um, I think we can learn, like, a thing or two from it. And, like, I just wanted to share how, like, what would have been maybe a more productive way to handle it. because. You know, as we've, as we've both kind of agreed, like, the name doesn't work, and I think if she'd handle it in a different way, maybe, like, we could have got some real change rather than, like, now people are just going to, like, support and dig mm-hmm. their heels into this other camp because she kind of has, like, looked a little ridiculous. Um, so I think, like, number one, the problem with her response is it's, like, kind of, like, misplaced. Uh, Kindle Cunningham pointed out for the Daily Beast that diet foods and drinks are sold at practically any establishment that sells food like noticeably grocery and big box stores so it does feel quite misplaced to call out Mm. a small frozen yogurt store when they're by no means the only one doing this and like it kind of just looks like that she's on the hunt for something to be upset about or something like that which is like not something that I really agree with, but it's an, like a, a claim that's been kind of like laid against her. I do think it's like misplaced. Yeah, I think you mm-hmm. should like bag out Whole Foods or something before you um, try and take down a yogurt store. So I think that's something to consider there, um, especially since Demi Lovato was in a huge position of power over The Big Chill. So she had like 102 million followers when she made this story. and. When she did that, the yogurt store had like 6,000. They now have like 46,000 because everyone's on their side. Um, But the dynamic there is like something that we actually spoke about in our November 2019 episode. When YA author Sarah Dessen blasted a student who campaigned against her book being chosen for uh, the student's university common reads program. And then, like a bunch of Sarah Seradessens author friends piled on, and that was like kind of unfair because it was an anonymous student versus like millionaire authors with lots of following. Um, and like, I get that Demi is trying to use her mm-hmm. platform for good, but I think like this kind of call out that isn't entirely thought through, like it's you kind of like directing your anger in the wrong place, and perhaps in the wrong tone. Um it's like it's the kind of thing you do when you're like in the middle of something emotionally, like when people are currently dealing with something rather than having processed yeah. it and like really thought about things. Um it's just like not very constructive. Like that's my main problem with it. I think like the root cause of her argument is a good one. And I think there could actually be change there. But going like calling someone out to 102 million people um when they're not the only ones doing it and you haven't really had a chance to like fully lay out your feelings like is not really gonna work um I think what she could have done and we kind of talked about this sort of thing in the in the 2019 episode because like There's ways to deal with conflict. It's not the internet. Um, But what she could have done is, like, spoke to the store, like, in person. Like, she was was there. Um, Maybe she could have raised that point with the owners then. Um, However, I do recognize that, like, if she was, um, you know, quite upset by what she saw and that had, like, uh, repercussions on her mental health, maybe that wasn't possible for her at the time. But I do think she could have like direct messaged the big chill or eat me go free to start a conversation rather than publicly attack. Um, And I think like learning to process your emotions offline is always really good. Um, Unfortunately, we live in this world that everything is fast and demands Mm -hmm. an immediate response. But I think taking a moment to like, really just comb through our feelings and really take a breath and really think is a really good idea. Um, I have been like just personally trying to explore um, like CBT techniques a lot more. So CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's this like style that focuses on recognizing challenging and changing destructive thoughts, um, because these can have a negative effect on your emotions and behaviors. So you might've seen the anti-anxiety book a lot online lately. It's pretty popular. Um, and it's this resource that was designed by therapists that draws on CBT techniques. And basically it gives you these like guided exercises where If you are, um, you know, just feeling like you're under this, like, anxiety or, or stress, you write down what happened, so what was the actual incident, and then you write down your thoughts about them, and then you write down your feelings, and then you see if you're experiencing any or, like, recognizing any patterns, and then you can think about what you can do differently. So it's just a really good way to kind of, like, learn to analyze yourself and learn how to process things in a much slower and healthier way than um, the online world mm. demands, which is all about immediacy and, like, just retweeting things and, like, responding immediately. Um, I'm not saying that I'm, like, recommending a book to Demi. That found, that sounds, like, very high and lofty of me. But uh, that's just, like, a resource that I've really enjoyed learning about. And I think it's, like, definitely applicable to, you know, if you ever find yourself in a situation where – You'll, you you want to like react very uh, emotionally to something online i think just this like taking a moment to think and to analyze and to breathe is really positive um so this has been a very very long mm-hmm. conversation uh but yeah i just wanted to add like a little bit of more humanity to it essentially i think you know it was quite a cringy affair and like what Demi did wasn't necessarily right but I think if we all stopped doing the immediately respond to things without knowing all the information thing as well that we would see that um yeah maybe some bad marketing is actually the the problem here all righty then well that brings us to another episode of or the conclusion of another episode of different things can be said. we're not just going to jump right into the next one Um, Mm. you're not getting a makeup episode just because we missed last month it was some well-deserved break yeah um so we will be in your ear holes again next month in the meantime michael what are you going to be up to in that time in the meantime Um, in that time i'm gonna be
0: enjoying spring Um, I think is my major goal. Spend time outside. Hopefully it doesn't rain too much. It's going to be good.
1: That sounds very exciting. Mm -hmm. You've got your
0: birthday coming
1: up. You're going to be old. That's exciting. (laughs) Yeah. What about you? Um, Similar kind of thing. I've got that uh, full vax immunity in my bod bod now. So I'm excited to get out there in a safe way um, i'm actually going to go visit my cousin in texas which i'm pretty excited about because i haven't seen him since i moved to america in september 2019 so it feels good that um, i'm fully vaxxed and so is he and we can do that safely so very excited about that if you would like to keep up with that adventure you can find me on instagram at yasmin lomax where can people find you, Micah?
0: Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Micah Han. And you can follow our podcast Instagram at DTCBS Pod or Podcast. Podcast,
1: I podcast. believe. We are. We've taken a little posting break as well while we've while we've been off. So the, the Instagram is a little rusty in our brains, but we're coming back now. So prepare for lots of fun tweet sharing there. And um, maybe opening a little bit of a conversation on the topics that we've we've talked about. So mm-hmm. give us a follow and we'll catch you in a month.
0: Bye.
1: Oh, we forgot the bye. The bye bye. bye. Sorry, I was gonna do a little acoustic an acoustic version mm-hmm. of our, our theme tune. Bye! Bye. bye.